All right, welcome to the MISQ NBA podcast, basketball news, analysis, insight, thoughts, feelings from right here in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, we are coming at you fortnightly, although it's about two and a half weeks this time, but generally speaking, fortnightly podcast. I'm Max, and over there is Ari Burston, a.k.a. Amari Pottermeyer. Ari, what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. That's good. Um, not much. I'm missing, I'm missing Thunder Timberwolves to be doing this record right now so i I hope you don't mind i'll be constantly checking the score and providing updates well life is about sacrifices um but at least you got one eye on that so can i uh do you think you could name the thunder starting five oh today or like as a general rule (laughs) today today Uh, so obviously it's not the normal guys uh well do you think you could name like five players on the thunder (laughs) Uh, Shay, um, Dort, Josh Giddy, Derek Favors, um, Kenrich Williams, uh, Baisley, um, shit. <laughs> Struggle straight. You've got, me. you've got two of their starters. <laughs> right, okay. Who, who, who we got there? This is, this is uh, bad for, other- uh, somebody who's hosting an NBA podcast. <laughs> I think it's bad for someone who's a fan of the NBA that this Thunder team is allowed to step on the court right now. You've got Theo Maladin, Isaiah Roby, and uh, Alexei Oh, Pokovsky. Yeah. How yeah. could I forget? Poku, the man <laughs> himself. Uh, all right, Ari, we have a, a huge pod today. Jeez, what a couple of weeks in the NBA. Uh, since we last spoke, we spoke pre-All-Star weekend, and it just feels like there's been an absolute shit load going on like we've had the james harden tra- actually we, we did speak about the james harden trade yes um, but we've had james harden's debut in philly um we have had more lebron and lakers drama we've got zion drama um we've had a few significant injuries that have kind of piled up in this time so there's a lot to talk about um but before we actually get into like these day-to-day week-to-week kind of topics one thing that i've been thinking about this year Um, And a theme that has kind of been, I guess, omnipresent in the NBA over the last decade even um, is the idea of super teams and having, you know, one one favorite team every year Um, and everybody else kind of, I guess, chomping at the bit to, to beat them, like nipping at their heels, trying to trying to beat that one team. Whereas this year in the last two, two, three years, but more so the last two years, it's been a completely open field. Um, and so I guess the question that I wanted to, to discuss um, at the start of this podcast is just from a general viewing perspective, from a fan perspective and, and as a league as a whole, is it better to have no idea who the NBA champion will be or to have one overwhelming favorite that everybody else is vying to be? Okay, so my entire life in the lead up to asking this question it was something I didn't really think about, but the concrete answer that was always there in my head was pretty much, it's better for it to be completely up in the air and have no idea. Until the second you asked me this, you sent me a text. And as soon as you said it, I was like, oh shit, it's better to have a favorite, isn't it? <laughs> like, I feel like just being asked the question made me realize. I was like, oh yeah, no, no. Yeah, I've been wrong this whole time. <laughs> it's, it's better to have a favorite. And it's funny that you consider this year one Uh, where it's up in the air, because I completely agree. But if you just look at teams' records and standings, the Suns are significantly 
outperforming everyone else in the league. Like, they're seven and a half games ahead of the second seed in the West. They are about 11 games ahead of the first seed in the East. But it doesn't really feel like they're this, you know, unbeatable concrete favourite. And, yeah, I feel like on paper that should be better than it seems like anyone could grab it. But there is something about having, like, one or I think preferably two teams, maybe, like, one dominant team in each conference that it feels like a kind of setting the tone. It's something, like, it's the benchmark, you know. It's like, can anyone beat them? Can they win? Like, it gives it uh, a sort of central focus that I think kind of helps shape the narrative of a season where, I don't know, a year like this, you kind of have to find your own meaning in different things and, like, look. And, and it just doesn't have that same clear universal sense of like what this season's about that's really interesting because i'm still on the fence about this thing but i'm i'm kind of shocked that you've changed in the opposite direction because like you you've yep. said you have been like the biggest proponent for yep. parody in the nba and um and you know so have i but it is interesting that now it's the case i, I kind of agree with you in the sense that like it does give it a central focus it gives like a direction of the year um, it gives a target, I guess, that you can yeah. think about throughout the whole year. And and in a way, it gives you like a common, a common enemy, you know? So mm, I, like yeah. a lot of the last, um, you know, five years, or, or at least since Kevin Durant went to Golden State in that three-year run, like that was the team. Everybody hated them. Everybody hated, yeah. for the most part, like what KD did because it just shifted the balance so far in Golden State's favor that it felt like nobody else could win. And then that whole time watching, I just remember being like, damn, remember 2008? Remember 2009 where where it was like there was like eight, nine different teams that if they couldn't win, they could at least upset the team you thought could win or it was just a balanced field. Um, I think I think they're different, you know, like I, I definitely got sick of the Golden State Cleveland every year and knowing that that was an inevitability. That was too much. That was the same team as for too long. You know, that was the problem. It was, it was like year after year. Right. The same shit. So I, I guess like, is it almost a thing where like you, you kind of like, you hate that team and you have more negative feelings towards the NBA during those kind of runs where there is a dominant team. But overall, those negative feelings equate to a more fulfilling fan experience. Is that what we're thinking here? I, I think so, almost. I, I like For me, I think the ideal is cases where it feels like there's a team in the East and a team in the West and they're sort of like destined to play each other. And the showdown between those teams feels like what it's all leading towards and i think that gives you something exciting to look forward to like i can't wait to watch these two teams duke it out and at the same time if one of them gets upset in the playoffs if one of them gets knocked out it's extra thrilling it's extra shocking because it's not just like you know the grizzlies playing the warriors and it's like well anyone can win it is this moment of like you know holy shit the eighth seed warriors took down the, the first seed Mavs, you know, it's that type of thing. When you do have that kind of clear dominant force, it, it really creates room for, like, you know, exciting upsets. And I, I think as long as it's not clearly, like, one team from the start's going to win it all, if there is, like, kind of another dominant team where it's a showdown you're looking forward to, I think that's probably the best fan experience you can have. Okay, that's interesting. You know, I think I think it's, it's good, um, or each side is good in different ways. Like, for example, I think the they're having the one dominant team might in a weird way almost make the regular season more enjoyable 
Because throughout the regular season, you're just looking for little chances of, oh, this team is showing signs. Maybe they can actually yeah. beat that team. Oh, oh the, the Warriors are slipping. Like, they've lost a couple in a row. Maybe they can be had. It adds, like, that layer of, I have to keep paying attention. I want to keep yeah. watching kind of thing. Um, whereas I think this year in particular, uh, and last year as well, there's definitely been lulls in the regular season where it feels like every team's kind of flawed. Um, nobody's playing the best at they can like there's not one team that you're constantly looking at but I think when it comes playoff time it just makes it more interesting for me you know I said I was on the fence before I think I do lean to the having parity in the league and I like I'm really enjoying like I found this season at times dull um there's been some yep. you know really down periods uh but now as we're, we're getting closer to the playoffs I feel I feel this ramp up and I feel teams hitting their stride. And I see like four or five teams in each conference, which could at least talk themselves into saying, we have a chance to go and, and try and win a championship. And to me, when you get into that, it adds like a March Madness college kind of atmosphere to the whole postseason where it just feels really up in the air. And I like I personally cannot wait for these playoffs. I'm really, really looking forward to it. Um and I just don't think I have that same enthusiasm when it's a Cleveland and Golden State. You know they're on a collision course to make it to the finals again. Um, so it's, it's yeah, I think both have benefits in different ways. Um, in saying that, you know, like even the last year of Golden State, 2019, Houston, um, actually, no, not that year, but the, the year before, Houston made a really good run at them. But then in 2019, yeah. Golden State had their ups and downs in the playoffs with the KD injury and stuff like that. Um yeah, it's it's an interesting conversation. I guess the point is it's not as black and white as I thought it was when we were in the thick of the Golden State run. But then then again, is that now looking back on it um, with the true definition of nostalgia, which is uh, looking back on a period of time that was not that good with fondness? Um, and so is it just looking back and not, not remembering uh, the inevitability of it all? So I don't know, you know. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting it's an interesting thing to think about at this point. Yeah, it it is one of those things where there's no no clear answer because through so many of those Golden State Cleveland years, I was frustrated by the um, you know, the kind of repetitiveness of it and the the lack of like up and coming favorites who felt like they could dethrone it. But then also like there are times this year where I'm watching uh, and there are games where it's like, oh, the Grizzlies are really good. And there's part of me which is like, good compared to who? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like, if you put, like, how would they fare against a, a team like those Warriors where it's like, they're so clearly the best? Like, I do feel like having a, a superpower team like that does add some kind of nice scale to it where everything is kind of graded compared to compared to that team. But I mean, yeah, coming into the playoffs, it, 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 it's going to be really exciting. Like, they definitely both have their pros and cons. And I think, like, the early rounds of the playoffs where it's all up for grabs, no, nothing beats that. Um, so, yeah, that's going to be, like, really exciting. Isaiah Ruby has 13, but the Thunder are down <laughs> by one. All right, thank you for that update. To the point you made before about, like, what do you scale these teams against? And the Grizzlies are really good, yes, but how would they do against the 2017 Warriors, for example? That's the trade-off. Um, if you do have parity, if you have eight or nine teams that have a shot, um, that means every team is going to be flawed. You know, every team um, is going to have weaknesses. Every team, like the overall level is going to be lower in general, um, as opposed to like a, a uh, early 2010s Miami Heat or those Warriors teams where those teams have very little flaws. Uh, or if they do have 
flaws that they're so significantly overpowered by the star power that they have. It's just a higher level of basketball. Like you're not going to get these all time great teams um, in a league where the talent is so spread um, where, but if, if you do have, you know, two or three teams at the top that everyone's vying for, yes, the level of that is higher, but it kind of makes the rest of the league a little less relevant. So that's the trade-off. But I actually, you know, I actually enjoy the fact that each team is flawed. Like every team has their strengths, their weaknesses, and it comes down to who can exploit um, other teams' weaknesses. How are they going to exploit it? How do they, uh, you know, accentuate their own strengths? It just becomes more of a, a, I guess, a chess game, a a strategic game. There's more, I guess, for somebody who's like a, a more of a basketball nerd, I guess, or somebody that likes to think about that kind of thing more. Um, about, you know, the minutiae of each game, gameplay, strategy, stuff like that. It makes it more interesting, I think. Whereas like Golden State or, you know, coming down to Golden State and Cleveland, it's like, all right, LeBron or KD, really? You know what I mean? Or like who's got the better supporting cast? It's not so much about, um, you know, exploiting those weaknesses because there are none, you know, on teams like that. Yeah, exactly. So I guess, like, for a cretin like me, I just want my two superstars to duke it out, and I don't want to have to think beyond that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's certainly interesting. Um, and, you know, we, we had that kind of super team, one team that everybody is going after for, like, about a decade. Um, and so far in this decade, in the 20s, it's it's going in the other direction. So it's cool. I think it's refreshing, uh, I, you know. I think it's, yeah, I think it's probably good for it to kind of ebb and flow between the two you know like you have a team will dominate for a bit and then there'll be a couple of years where it's you know up in the air and then another team will probably emerge like that kind of seems to be the pattern with the varying lengths of time between super teams like you're yeah. going to go from the bulls and then 1999 it's all up in the air but then by the next year it's kind of like oh well the lakers are now yeah. the team to beat and then you know you kind of get a few years where it's like up and down and then you know the heat emerge and then the warriors emerge like yeah so it's i I think you know it's always going to kind of come in and out in terms of how much there is a singular dominant force and i think that's probably ideal at the end of the day bit of everything something for everyone you know yeah definitely and also i think you know one of the contributing factors to this year feeling dull at times uh has been the injuries as well I, like, I think it's been like an un, under-discussed factor is how many significant injuries there have been in the league this year. Um, yeah. And how Can ma- I yep. reel off a list of players who have missed games this week? Okay, go for who it. Who have been like out within the last seven days. So most of them are still out. Some of them have kind of just come back. But Kevin Durant, Ben Simmons, Vucevic, Lonzo Ball, Darius Garland, Karis LeVert, Colin Sexton, Tim Hardaway... Uh, MPJ, Jamal Murray, Draymond Green, Andre Iguodala, Clay Thompson, John Wall, Malcolm Brogdon, TJ Warren, Miles Turner, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Anthony Davis, Dylan Brooks, Kyle Lowry, Victor Oladipo, <laughs> Zion Williamson, Lou Dort, Josh Giddy, CP3, Damian Lillard, Justice Winslow, Eric Bledsoe, Nurkic, Joe Ingles, Bradley Beal, Chris Stapps, Porzingis. They're all like, they're just like the players who I was like, oh, they're like, a, they're like a top three guy on their team on a team which is kind of relevant you know that's like not everyone who's injured but they're just the names that jumped out to me i like so that you threw kind of, victor oladipo in there just like hey guys remember i'm a thing and i'm on the best team in the league and I, you know i, I no, saw it that's what that's why i mentioned him because he's on their heat like and he's a really good player and they're doing this without him like it's a well he was a, a really loss. good player but since since yeah. he came back from that ACL injury he hasn't been 
anywhere exactly. close to Exactly. It's all injuries, though. And like, it's still, you know, a matter of... Yeah, but he never, him, like, he, he, I look at him differently because he never played, like, any okay. sort of significant role on Miami. And I actually saw that report, like, Oladipo coming back this week, and I was like, is that actually good for, for Miami? <laughs> like, they're rolling. I, like, well, what's his fit even yeah, on this team? Yeah, uh, But no, there really has been. There's been so many guys out. Um, and you look at, you know, like, the amount of contenders we had. You know, we, we, we mentioned that there's probably about eight, but if you have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George back in, Clippers are one of the favorites, arguably. You know, uh, if Denver have Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. in playing at their best, along with the way Jokic is playing now, they're absolutely a contender. So then, then the number gets up at around 10, which is insane. Like, it's a huge amount. I'm not saying all 10 have, like, a great shot, but all 10 could legitimately beat any of the other teams in the right series. Um, and so, yeah, it's been... It... Go ahead. Oh, you, oh, I was going to say, and the Celtics have kind of started rolling, and then Jalen Brown goes down the other day. He's, you know, probably not out for too long. Luckily, But if yeah. that's like a... Yeah, but, you know, right there, that could be another team is kind of emerging and so, starting to make noise. And it's like, oh, well, if Jalen Brown's out, that's them done. Like, it's lucky he's only going to be out for like a week or so. Mm. But... You know, the, this amount of injuries, everything, it just it just changes things. So I watched uh, Boston-Memphis last night. I was so impressed with Boston. They, they like, I hadn't seen a lot in their, you know, in this recent stretch of theirs. Um, just highlights. I hadn't actually watched a game or anything like that. And they look like a completely different team from early in the year. They play so well on defense. Like, both those teams, by the way, just hustled so hard. Um, the whole game. But Boston really, really just locked locked Memphis down. Marcus Smart playing point guard was like he was playing like Steve Nash. I've never seen him be such a floor general, getting in the lane. He's really, make, he's making really reads. filled that role. Yeah, it's it's great. And so with Jalen Brown coming back, um, like I, I'm just happy to see that that wasn't a bad injury. And they signed your boy, Nick Stauskas, out of the G League after he put up back-to-back yeah. uh, 40 and 50-point games. So, Excellent. Um, yeah, like Boston's a sleeper contender. Um but yeah, I mean, there are still significant injuries, questions to be answered. Like we've got Chris Paul on Phoenix, who's out for, it was like an eight-week injury. I think that was about two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, so he'll be back, hopefully in time for the first round of the playoffs. The estimated uh, return date is like by like a game two of the playoffs, if it's, you know, eight weeks exact. Right. Okay. Well, that's good. Uh, well, good for Phoenix. Um, and, and, and you just hope he comes back strong and everything like that. Um, a thumb injury then, should be easy enough to come back from. Yeah, no, it should, for sure. But um, I don't know. <laughs> I've never had a, a broken thumb. So, I mean, it, I'm actually not sure. Is it on his shooting hand or is his offhand? I'm not oh, sure. It's on his shooting hand. It is, okay. Well, I mean, they beat the Lakers in it. Well, they, they made the finals when he couldn't even, like, you know, messed yeah, up shoulder yeah. anyway. So, um, yeah. yeah, and then you look at Denver, like, there are talks uh, that Jamal Murray might come back for the playoffs. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it, I think it's just been an under-discussed area that how much injuries are affecting the overall yeah. um, league this year. Um, all right. Yeah. Do you think we're seeing a carryover effect from like the shortened off seasons? Yeah, yeah, for sure. There have been yeah, and all be. that and like yeah. a lack of conditioning. For sure. Because Ab- it's, it's grim right now. It is, absolutely. And I just think there's too many games as well. There's too too many regular season games. And I think people always have that well, old heads have that argument of we always played this and we were less injured and the game was less physical back then. The game is like less physical in terms of man-to-man contact now, but in terms of the, the amount of 
miles they run in terms of the amount of speed they play with um, in terms of the direction changes the stop starting these players today are putting so much more stress on their joints on their limbs and that's where you get the most significant injuries the most significant injuries don't come from banging in the post or you know driving to the basket or how much um, how much hand checking is allowed while you're bringing the ball up the court like injuries come from those like the worst injuries at least come from those non-contact planting your foot um, a, a ligament giving out because of the amount of stresses on that uh, and and the way the game's played now like that's just at a way higher level and so I just think it's it's you know they should really look at shortening that season I know I've talked about it but there's yeah. just too many games cool yeah, like Kawhi Leonard's not down for the year with like bruised ribs because, you know, mm. Charles Oakley L through an elbow. Like that's not how people are getting hurt. Um, did you hear Daryl Morey's uh, suggestion? No. He was on. No. He was on the Colin Coward podcast, and he said, oh, if "Beautiful." He, <laughs> if he was in control of it all, he would go a fifty-eight game season. Every team plays each other twice. Yeah, yeah, I uh, like that. I like that. I like that. And then he was like, and single game elimination playoffs. No, that's like, no, it's too far. That's, that's, that's ridiculous. No, I still want yeah. the seven game series. And yeah, I, don't, I don't think the NBA will ever move off that because it's too much TV. No. There's not a chance of that. And I don't think the playoffs are the problem. It's it's the no, regular it's, season. It's the regular season. Yeah. yeah. And it also, it does water down the product because each game, like it's a scarcity issue. There's so much of it. You don't need to watch every game, and most people don't. Like, the NBA season is long enough. The regular season is long enough that you can get excited for it, lose interest, get a, get more excited again, then have a little lull, and then get back into it in the playoffs. Like, it's it's crazy yeah. long. Um, and we're look- currently in the get more excited before the pre-playoff lull, right? Yeah, that's exactly. That's, that's yeah. where we're at. Yeah. <laughs> that is where we're at, according to the calendar, anyway. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's, uh, it's just too much, you know, and... Maybe if they if they made less games and we could get less jerseys, uh, but I doubt it. Um, all right, you want to take what? a break? <laughs> you want less jerseys? <laughs> all right, let's take a break, um, and then we're going to talk some Harden in Philly and uh, some more more drama, Ari. So we'll be back. All right, we're back. Ari had to go to the bathroom. Um, all right. That Ari. is a lie. <laughs> Harden. So, so since we last spoke, James Harden has, has debuted in Philly. Uh, they've played three games so far, 3-0. and um, They're currently playing Cleveland. Um, so that's yet to be seen what the result will be for that one. But they're looking good so far. And James Harden has once again done that thing where he, he, he has looked so terrible for one team. And then a week later, looks like the James Harden of his prime in Houston. And not only that, like he has once again shed like 10 pounds in the space of three days. Like I, I said to you the other day, he's like the Christian Bale of the NBA, his ability to put on weight and <laughs> shed it at will. It's extremely impressive. Uh, but what do you think about Philly so far and, and how they're looking with Harden? Oh, I think they're, yeah, they're, they're hitting their free throws well. It would be nice to see them play a bit of basketball <laughs> in between. Uh, but, like, they're winning games and they're making free throws. And I don't know, hard, I need longer with Harden there to kind of get a proper read on it. Because, like you said, this is kind of the Harden thing, you know. He's, like, smiling. He's joking around with everyone at practice. They're winning games. He's looking trim. Uh, I think it's just, like, will, will he stay happy? Will it continue to work? But so far... Like, yeah, they're, they're looking great. Like, Joel Embiid is getting just some of the easiest looks I've ever seen him yeah. get in his career. Like, 
the open looks inside he gets because of the attention Harden draws and the way it kind of shifts the, the gravity of the defense is just going to make life so much easier for Embiid. Um, and I think that's a huge win there. Like, yeah, they're clicking. They look like they all enjoy playing together. Um, like, yeah, it's James Harden. Like, he's a, an MVP caliber player when <laughs> when he's working. So, I mean, you know, it, it's got to be good. Um, it's just, I, th- I think it really comes down to will the chemistry remain will they keep clicking or will it kind of go off the rails at some point yeah no absolutely i mean it's still not determined and they still haven't played like any amazing opponents so far but they look really good and i think some of the things we were asking about you know the adjustments can they make like uh joel Embiid isn't a hard roller and lob threat he's like a short roller and pop guy how's that gonna look and so far it's looking great like harden is finding him in those spots he's getting easy duck-ins like you said really easy shots uh the other thing we said is like can harden be more willing to shoot catch and shoot threes um and play off the ball a little bit more and like so far he is like there was a play against new york i mean there was a couple of times where like somebody had it in in the lane and harden actually relocated to the corner and shot a catch and shoot spot up three and it was just like one of those things where you know how uh you know like when somebody has an ex and then they like see that ex going to them with like to going to family events with them or something you're like wow you never did that with me it like really hurts (laughs) that i'm seeing this now but that has to be how brooklyn and houston is feeling about james harden chris paul in particular so um yeah yeah, it just seems like you know harden is fully bought in now he was really bought in um at the start of brooklyn but i just don't think I don't see a situation, at least for now in Philly, where things are going to go uh, astray. I I weirdly think the personality combination of Harden and Embiid is going to be really good. Like, it's going to bring out the best of both of them, I think. Um, Yeah, and they look really nice. And I think, you know, one of the questions as well is how the role player is going to fit around them, particularly Tyrese Maxey, because Maxey's a young point guard. Like, he's been the point guard for Philly. He looks amazing. He's averaging, like, 24 points a game in the three games. Um, And I think the thing about both Harden... Well, sorry... Harden now, um, he, he's showing a willingness to play off the ball, like I just mentioned, a bit more. Um, but Maxi is one of those point guards where he's kind of like a combo. Like he's a little bit, he's got a little bit of that Lou Will kind of thing in him where he can play off the ball, he can play on the ball. Uh, and he's fitting in really nicely around those two. So they look really, really good. Yeah. Yeah, very, very impressed. They, that game against New York particularly, I thought... Harden and Maxi looked like they fit surprisingly well together. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I think Harden was showing kind of like a level of generosity with control of the ball and control of the tempo that you didn't see with Chris Paul. Like mm. it looked a lot more in sync. I wonder if part of that is because Maxi is kind of very fresh to the game and it's it's very clear that Harden is the, you know, the primary ball handler, the primary shot creator when mm. all said and done. Whereas I wonder if with Chris Paul there, there was more of maybe like a kind of push-pull for control of the team that probably doesn't exist with a young player like Maxi. Yeah, that's definitely possible and a good point. Like, we should remember that that Chris Paul-James Harden team did really, really well two years in a row. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, there was definitely, it got to a point where it just wasn't working personality-wise and, like, differences in on-court philosophy and things like that. But that's a good point. Like, it, there's more of a clear hierarchy. Like, this is obviously Joel Embiid's team. James Harden's number two, but they play opposite positions you know completely complementary positions so there's no conflict there whatsoever um and then yeah Tyrese Maxey the other guard is younger and has you know yeah Yeah. he's he's lower on the pecking order and um yeah I think like I've talked about in the past like having a nice tiered team and I thought Milwaukee 
you know, the past few years have had at that really nice tiered team where it's clear who their one, two, three, four, five is. Um, and I think Philly kind of has that in place. Um, and they, they look good so far. Um, but yeah, again, I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing them play against some tough opponents and things like that. Uh, they've got Brooklyn coming uh, in a, a week or two or something like that. I'd love to see Ben Simmons play in that game, but that's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's looking cool so far. So do you think like we're, we're just based on the small sample size so far, how much do you think Philly's elevated in terms of title contention? They're number one right now. Favorite in the whole league? Oh, in the East. Sorry. In the East? Okay. Might, right. right now, I think that might be my favorite to come out of the East. Wow, okay. I, th- I think they're gelling well. If they keep gelling this well, then, yeah, I think, you know, if a team can kind of play this cohesively and smoothly together as a unit while also having two players that can kind of just go out and dominate in their own right down the stretch of playoff games... I think that's huge. I think if they stay healthy and the chemistry stays like this, they're absolutely my favorite to come out of the East. Yeah, I think they they have a really well-suited style of play for the playoffs as well because they're going to grind that game to a halt. It's going to be all half-court, free throws. The other team's best players are going to be in foul trouble. Um, It's going to be hard for the other team to get in a rhythm and impose their own style of play on Philly because the game's going to be constantly stopping. It's going to be frustrating. Um, and yes, yeah, oh, so I, I like Philly. In <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Uh, but so I like Philly in, in a playoff setting like that. And by the way, that's just another thing I, I like about the maxi element is he gives them that fast break burst as well. Like occasionally mm, he gives yeah. them that element where he can just push the ball in and get a layup. Um, alrighty. Um, Ari, so like in, in my life in general, um, I, I always like... I'm always shocked at the amount of people that like love trash TV, right? Love reality TV. Yeah. Like people, oh, you know, I watch I watch Real Housewives in my downtime. I watch Maths, yeah. you know, Merit at First Sight, um, like the Kardashians, all these different things. And I just kind of comprehend, I'm like, like, why do people like watching this drama-filled reality TV? And then sometimes I have to stop and remind myself, I follow the NBA. And really, how <laughs> different... How different is it really in essence? It's the same thing, just masked in basketball. And so with that, I want to talk about LeBron and the Lakers, okay? Because since we last spoke, uh, we had the All-Star Weekend in Cleveland, uh, to which LeBron praised every kind of GM there was, except for Rob Palenka. So he praised Les Snead, the Rams owner, for wearing a shirt that said, fuck them picks. And it was well noted that LeBron wanted the Lakers to trade the 2027 uh, first round pick. Uh, he gave because he'll to- be retired by then. And just hey, it doesn't know. matter to him. No, of course not. Praised Kobe Altman, the Cavs GM. Sam Presti, he praised him for all of the draft picks that he has. So it's a bit of a conflict there. But the point is, um, it was pretty clear passive aggressiveness uh, at, at Rob Palinka. Um, and there's there's been a lot of reported tension between LeBron, Clutch, the front office, Um things like that. Uh, LeBron also made comments about wanting to play with his son, saying he will absolutely play with his son at one point. Um, he, he said he didn't rule out the uh, return to Cleveland at some point. Um, and meanwhile, the Lakers are looking the worst they've looked so far in this already horrendous season, loses a four in a row. Uh, they are, th- it looks like there's no way they're even going to get higher than the ninth seed. Um, you know, <laughs> like... I've said, I've talked about my reluctance to talk about the Lakers on this podcast because they just don't deserve it. But they keep inserting themselves in the headlines. Uh, So, Ari, what are your thoughts on on the Lakers so far? 
I mean, you mentioned that, you know, there are people who watch reality TV as, like, their comfort TV. Then the other option is, like, re-watching beloved sitcoms as comfort TV. And this is kind of the perfect fusion of both. Because <laughs> it's just annoying drama that I've seen, like, a hundred times. This is what LeBron does. And it's what the Lakers do. So you put LeBron and the Lakers together and it's bound to happen. Like, right now, we've got... It's, it's like Kobe's last season. He kind of just went on a highlight tour, just showing all the best things he did in his career, you know, putting up like massive numbers, hitting clutch shots. Kind of feels like that's what LeBron's doing right now. He's like bringing out all the highlight reels. Like he's like, I'm going to be making snide comments about my GM. I'm going to be talking about making a return to Cleveland. I'm going to make ominous remarks about a player I want to team up with in the future. (laughs) It's like... This is just the LeBron playbook. It's funny that now, like, the thing he's doing with, you know, his son, like, oh, I'll I'll go wherever drafts him. It's kind of like the thing of, like, you know, Chris Paul. I'd love to play with Chris Paul, kind of, like, putting it out there. Like, teams are like, oh, we got to get Chris Paul because then we can make a play for LeBron. Like, it's just the the same thing he does. He's, like, how old is he, 38? 39? 37. I think he may be turning 38 this year. Yeah. Yeah. And he's playing like 40-minute games down the stretch, closing minutes while we're, while the Lakers are down 20 to the thunder. So he wants that scoring title. Like, I don't know. It just it, it feels like he's very much playing basketball for himself right now and making comments for himself. And, you know, it, it's, that, it's, it's just that classic kind of LeBron thing where it just feels like he's kind of playing his own game above it all. And... I don't know. It's it's if if I was an organization, if I was the Lakers organization, who have just fucked up so many things in their own right, <laughs> I, I I wouldn't be really happy with what I'm seeing from him. Yeah, but I mean the thing is, he's still playing great, and he's not really to blame for the on court issues. You can blame no, him for the Westbrook no. thing because he obviously pushed to get Westbrook in the building, and yeah, I mean he absolutely deserves accountability for that. Um, yeah, but it's just further proof like players shouldn't be GMs. Uh, yeah, but, but yeah, it's uh, he's definitely doing the thing where he's distancing himself from the team. It's the passive aggressiveness. He can't help it. Like this is just what his nature seems to be, and it's the way he yeah. copes with these kind of things. But uh, yeah, overall, there's, there's just so much wrong uh, in LA that it's even hard to pinpoint yeah. one thing. Yeah, uh, if you're like if you're Bronny James, right, and you're projected to, I'm, and I'm going off on a tangent here, but you're projected right now as like a early to mid second round pick for when you're drafted, yeah? Um, like, do you do you like the idea of your dad um, like coming in saying, I'll, I'll play for whoever drafts my son, and then you go in the top 10, and then you start your NBA career off by being drafted at a spot you don't deserve to be drafted at because of your dad. And then there's just like this target on your back the whole time. And then your rookie year, you, you're playing like in this media circus around your dad rather than just settling into the league yourself. Like, are you, and like, not to mention the locker room dynamics, Ari, like, can you imagine if you started your new job and, you, and you know, your dad was like, oh, I'm, I'm coming in to work with you, by the way, <laughs> like at your new job or like first day of, university or something like that it's just strange you know i don't know if i'd be stoked if i was if i was brony here i would hate it so much i would be so embarrassed i'd be so mad <laughs> like also the thing with his path like it's projected to be uh early to mid um second round pick that's like accounting for some like lebron james level uh, improvements because his like high school stat line he averaged seven points two rebounds and two assists yeah like he's like, like he's, he's a good basketball numbers 
No, he's not. He's like never. He's not the best player on his high school team. Hasn't been the best player on his AAU team, and that doesn't mean he's not a good basketball player. He's an amazing no, basketball not. player. But we're talking about NBA yeah. here. Like the, talking yeah, about the NBA. Have, yeah. And like, is I, people are talking about like you know? Oh man, how would you feel if you're Bronny James and you got drafted above where you should be picked so the team could get LeBron? I don't know if anyone's actually going to do that. I don't know if anyone's going to... To what? Take like a 39 by that point-year-old LeBron? Like, is anyone going For to For one be... year as well. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe some small market team that is struggling yeah. for ticket sales or something like yeah. that. Like, we have to remember as well, owners and general managers... Well, owners specifically don't just operate from the point of view as like what's going to be the best for our basketball team in terms of winning yeah. in the future. They operate from ticket sales and revenue and things of that nature. So and LeBron team, James jerseys sell. Like, like, yeah, they do. Like, let's say it's New Orleans yeah. and they can't get more than 40% of their seats filled every home game. And let's say Zion's gone by that point. Um, like, I, I could absolutely see them being like, ah, you know what, let's get a season of LeBron in here because we've done yeah. absolute fuck all as a franchise. And <laughs> nobody, nobody gives a shit. Um, and we want to sell the team anyway, so like, let's drive the value up. I don't know. You know, I could, I could see it. I wouldn't. Yeah. I, I wouldn't want my team to do that at all. I'd rather have. A, I'd no, rather draft a player that I thought was going to help me for the next seven to ten years. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I, don't know. I just think if that actually happens, I just don't think that's a win for anyone, especially Bronny. Um, is the Lakers season over? I wish. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, I think the way, you know, they could still, they could slip further. They're probably going to be in the play-in, though. Uh, and at which point, anything can happen, you know? Like, the teams currently that would be in the play-in, you've got the Timberwolves, the Clippers, the Lakers, and the Pelicans. The Lakers can beat any of those teams on any given night, you know, you've still got LeBron, you, you, you've still got, you know, some talented players. Like if, if they make the play in, there's, I think a very real chance that they do make the playoffs and then they have to, you know, have what, an, another series against the Suns, at which point their season will be over. Then, <laughs> um, like, you know, then they're not going to be making a playoff push. They're not competing for a championship, but I think, you know, I, I don't want to say, that they're, they're not going to make the playoffs because I think they could. At the same time, four-game losing streak, they could keep dropping and not make the play-in at all. Like, it's all, you know, it's all open. I just feel like a team with LeBron who wants to score as many points as possible is still a team which can go out and win games. Yeah, but they're not. They're just not. They're not, but they could. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I feel like it's over, but it sh- I wish it was over sooner. You know what I mean? Like the inevitability is, yes, it's over. They're not winning a playoff round. Maybe they squeak no. into the playoffs at the eight yep. seed at the highest, but they're not winning and a playoff round. And get swept. Like um, that's, uh, yeah. Do, do you, if you're the Lakers, do you, are, you, are you considering blowing it up in this offseason? Like we already have Westbrook uh, reports saying that there's mutual interest in leaving, in, in getting Westbrook out of LA, which is music to my ears. Uh, we have LeBron, you know, making all these remarks we just talked about. Um, and then we have AD who who just can't stay on the floor at all. So if like with all this in mind, d- does LA consider Blow it up. just blowing it? Blow it up. Yeah, why not? I mean, you're not gonna win a championship or compete for a championship with like LeBron and Westbrook. You know, uh, you you got you you get these three guys in. Oh well, 
you know, two guys in because, you know, Westbrook just should have never happened. But you get LeBron and AD in, you win a championship very quickly, then it starts to go south, you know? You want a championship? Blow it up. Try again. Like, why not? Like, I keep feeling like if you're going to blow it up, it's like, oh, they should have just, you know, stuck with the young core they had. But hey, I mean, at the end of the day, blowing up a young core to get LeBron and AD, winning a championship, and then hitting the reset button. That's not terrible. That's fine. <laughs> like, yeah, no, the, the aim is to win championships. And I think from like a cold analytic perspective, that might very well be the right approach. Now, I would say the best approach, like the best thing they could do um, would be to get off the Westbrook thing, make cap space, uh, and then build a roster in a similar way to they did in 2020, where it's a lot of defenders, a lot of size and athleticism, um, and some shooting around those guys. But second to that, it would be blowing the team up. Like I, I think that's the cold analytic best thing to do. But what about the argument? And this isn't just for the Lakers. This is every team might face this at some point. Like if if you're trading someone like LeBron or AD when they don't request a trade, is that bad news? Because star players are going to look at that and say, "Well, I'm not going to go to that yes. team because yeah. it is." It's a hit in the era of player empowerment, I think, to put yourself I think it is out too. there. Yeah. As a team where it's like, oh, this this team is is willing to, you know, trade me. It's kind of like telling any potential superstar who wants to come to you that they don't have complete control over their standing in the team, their longevity with the team, you know. It's like there's it's it's the same like, hey, there's another force at play here. We're willing to get rid of you if, you know, we don't like what you're doing. Right. Yeah, and that's that's why nobody wanted to go to Boston as well, because they traded Isaiah Thomas after his um, hip injury when he when he gave them like just an unbelievably heroic playoff run uh, after his sister died and everything like that. And, you know, Kyrie Irving was apparently recruiting AD to come to Boston and AD and his dad were like, hell no. Like, yeah, like the way like they, they built the reputation for trading players like that. And um, yeah, so I, in in the player empowerment era, <laughs> it's probably not not the wisest thing to do. So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens in that offseason. All right. More drama, more drama. Zion, Williamson, and the Pelicans. So this has been one that's been like under the radar. And I think Zion and the Pelicans have have benefited from all the Lakers stuff, all the Ben Simmons and James Harden and Kyrie Irving stuff going on, where this whole situation didn't didn't get any any press at all, really. But basically, the season started for the Pelicans. Um, David Griffin, who's now become uh, a real grifter, if you will, uh, to the public, said that Zion would be available for opening night, and then that got pushed back, and then there's another surgery, and now he hasn't played at all this season. Uh, and so it was like a really disingenuous, weird start for, for the Pelicans. Um, and yeah, Zion has gone up to Portland. He's not with the team. He's apart from them. He's rehabbing separately. You have a lot of reports about Zion not trusting the front office, not liking New Orleans. Like it was known from the start, he didn't really want to go there. Then the Pels traded for CJ McCollum. Um, and McCollum went on, you know, uh, TNT with um, Ernie and Chuck and Shaq and said, oh yeah, no, I haven't, uh, I haven't actually heard from Zion. And CJ had already played five games at this point. And Zion's like the meant to be the best player on the team. And CJ is like a fringe all-star and the head of the Players Association and a respected player didn't even receive a text message. Um, and then, you know, like finally after he said that on TV, Zion reached out and CJ was kind of like, no, leave the young guy alone. But CJ knew what he was doing. And then, you know, you have JJ Redick going on first take, your favorite show. And 
basically saying <laughs> and that, my favorite player. Yeah, yeah, and basically saying like this is a pattern for Zion. He's a disconnected teammate. Like really, kind of like was very blunt with him in a way that I haven't seen many former players be uh, about their teammates and stuff like that. JJ rules. Yeah, he's great, but it's just um, I don't know. What do you make of this whole situation? It it, it doesn't uh, feel no, great. We, we we all know where it's going. It was always going here. We saw Zion's face on draft night when you know, or like on lottery night when the Knicks didn't get the number one pick. It's it's kind of always. He hasn't ever wanted to be there. He's hasn't proven he can stay healthy. He hasn't proven that he's willing to put in the effort to like improve himself as a player. He's eligible for a max extension at the end of the year. And if I'm the Pelicans, I'm absolutely not signing him to a max extension. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. That's a hot take, Ari. That is a it's, hot take. No, he, he's not... Zion isn't going to willingly play in New Orleans for the next how many years. And if he does, he's not going to do it healthy and he's not going to do it as a dedicated player who's going to like keep trying to improve and be, you know, live up to the hype. Like, I just don't, I think it's kind of clear that he doesn't want to be there. So I'm not, if I'm New Orleans, I'm not wasting a bunch more time and effort on this dude who's just, right, like he might be a great basketball player one day, but right now he's a bust and I'm not devoting more time and more money to him if I'm the Pelicans. Okay, so what do you do then? You just don't offer him the extension and like you try and trade him? I, maybe, maybe I lo- maybe I say, hey, we'll sign you for a few years, but not for the max. <laughs> like, make a more reasonable offer. Like, Zion hasn't done anything to prove that he's a max-level player. He oh. was drafted at the same time as Ja Morant, who is the best player on a championship contender. Yeah. Zion isn't anywhere close to that. Yeah, well, I mean, when he's been on the court, he's been phenomenal. Yeah. But he can't stay on the court, and he's, can't he stay can't stay in shape. Yes, yeah. he's, he's, he's huge. Like in, he's in the, in, fucking huge. Yeah, he's huge. It's <laughs> I ridiculous. sometimes look at him and I'm like, that can't be a basketball player. <laughs> like seriously, this guy yeah. like the next big thing apparently. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah it's, next uh, big thing. Yeah, yeah. Emphasis on big thing. Um, yeah, yeah. But you know, I also think like the Pelicans have missed. Like you made the Grizzlies comparison. I think the Pelicans like it needs to be talked about how in my opinion, how shitty their moves have been around Zion. Like, they started with Lonzo Ball, Drew Holiday, JJ Redick, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart, like a nice young core around Zion. They let Lonzo walk, which was just... I mean, he was already playing well in New Orleans. Zion loved playing with him. So right there and then, you should probably look to re-sign him if your franchise player likes playing with him. They just let him walk. Um, then they do this thing with Drew Holiday where they're like, mm, Drew Holiday's not really on our timeline. He's a little older. So we're going to we're gonna trade him for more draft picks. And then when they get those draft picks, after about a half season, they're like, you know what we need? We need a veteran guard for this team. <laughs> so let's try yeah. and get Kyle Lowry now. Oh, yeah. that didn't work? Okay, all right. Now we'll get CJ McCollum. It's like, it's like, dude, you had, you had the guy. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. You've gone around in circles yeah. here. Um, so I think they've been really mismanaged. I don't know. It's a, a, hor- it's a horribly mismanaged. It's a it's a crazy situation in New Orleans, though. In the immortal words of CJ McCollum, though, you've seen Bi lately. <laughs> like, <laughs> just go all in on Ingram. Build your team around him. If wow, I'm them, like, is... if I'm them, he's my guy. This is a hot maybe, hot take. Maybe Jackson Hayes will be good. 
Herb Jones is pretty good, you know, maybe see what you can develop him into. Make better moves. Like, the Pelicans have obviously made just a bunch of atrocious moves, but if I'm them, I'm just not looking at Zion and thinking, yeah, that's our guy. You sign Zion to a max and half a season of him playing basketball and playing really well, he's probably going to demand a trade. And then you have no, to sign him for someone who can match that contract and you're getting, like, nothing good back. Yeah, no, it's, it's that's the real issue with the NBA right now is that it's not even a thing of, like, oh, I'm not going to re-sign. It's like, yeah. oh, no, no, I'm just going to get my money and then if I want to leave, I'll just force I'll my leave. way out. Yeah. And I'm going to yeah. completely handicap teams. I know it's tough. It's it's strange. I don't... I, the Not... Yeah, it's extreme what you're proposing. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not fully against it, but, um, yeah, it's definitely a hard take. All right. Um, should we move on to Miscue of the Week? Yep, let's do it. All right, what have you got? What you, got? you want me to go first? Well, you told me pre-pod that you had a, a fat, juicy one, so I'm, I, I don't have anything today. I'm, I'm rolling with you. Okay, okay. My miscue of the week is uh, the entire, I guess, governing body of the NBA that allowed the last uh, 21 seconds of the Bucks nets game to go on for 17 minutes. Yeah, yeah. It's a problem that down the stretch of so many tight games, we just end up with timeouts which go on for three or four times as long as they should with endless reviews over you know plays which 10 seconds earlier just would have got breezed off no matter how bad the call is you get free throws which are just taking absurd amounts of time it just grinds to a halt and it becomes unwatchable like 21 seconds of playtime took 17 minutes yeah that so is- yeah, it's, it's happening all around the league. This happened in the Lakers-Mavs game the other day as well, where there was one review about something really insignificant, and it took it, it took 10 minutes of actual game time. Um, maybe it wasn't Lakers-Mavs. It was a Lakers game. But it just completely zaps it. Like, I, the fact that they don't even have a time limit, like, they're at least, if they're going to do these reviews, it has to at least be like, all right, if we can't see something in two minutes, then we're sticking with what we originally called. Like, tight two even, minutes. Even two minutes feels like far too long for me. It is. It's a long time. It's terrible. I know. It's it's really terrible. It takes all the juice out of the game. Like, it's just... But, but then you have the review, and then one play, then a timeout, then another play, then yeah. another review, then a play, then a time... And it just... Yeah, it's, it's unwatchable. The, the yeah, NBA has a lot of shit to fix, I think, in terms of... This has been building issues. for years as well, and the only direction they've moved it in is giving coaches challenges. Like... <laughs> Which just invites more stoppage, more review. Like, I don't know. Like, they, it seemed, the NBA seems to be a league which is so motivated in all their decisions by, like, ultimately making the game a better fan experience. Like, it really seems like, you know, all their talk of, like, mid-season tournaments and, you know, the play-in. Like, how can we make it better for fans? Right down to rules to, you know, when they, like, curtail hand-checking, when they protect shooters. It was all in the name of trying to create a more open, free-flowing, fast-paced, high-scoring game. And then they have shit like this, which just flies in the face of all that. Like, what is the point of, you know, bringing in all these rules, a lot of which I'm not a giant fan of, to try and, you know, have it as high-scoring, as fun as possible, if when you get into the most exciting part of a close game, it just grinds to a halt and becomes unbearable like it's it's just so fundamentally not what they should be trying to do yeah it it it, it, you're right it flies in the face of what would be best for the league and it's weird that it's it's actually something they haven't addressed 
And yeah. like the semantics of the reviews as well. Like if you hit a ball out of somebody's hands and like it's going to touch their hand last, you know what I mean? Like if you break it down into these like just frame by frame, it can't get any slower than that. Like, yeah, the bit of their skin on the tip of their finger might actually touch it last, but that's not the... That's not the purpose of the rule. Like somebody deflected the ball out of bounds. It's not like they deflected it off somebody's leg or or deliberately off somebody's hand. Like we're talking like like in pickup basketball, it's out of you and everyone's fine with that. And th- there would be no, I, I can't envision a circumstance where without the review, fans or the teams or the coaches or anything like that would be complaining about that issue. And then there's also like all kinds of um, just like... The, what you're allowed to replay in itself doesn't make sense. Like uh, there was a replay um, in in the Lakers game. I can't remember. I can't remember who they were playing against, but it was like it was whether the ball was off uh, LeBron or another guy, um, and then it was deemed that LeBron's foot was out of bounds uh, before this. But then Frank Vogel made the point of like, okay, but then LeBron actually got pushed into that position. But like, how far back do you go? You know what I mean? And it's just it just becomes like, what are, what are we doing here? Like, it's not the Kennedy assassination. It's a basketball game. There's more possessions. Like, we don't need to be so... It's crazy. But there's other things they need to fix as well. Like, the fast break foul is my arguably biggest gripe, where it's just a take foul on a fast break. And the amount of highlights... Like, you don't get fast break basketball. You just don't get it. And that is that is the best part of basketball, is the fast break. And so I just don't understand why the NBA has not addressed that. In international play, if you do an intentional foul while the other team is in transition, it's two shots and a free throw. Um, so I don't understand that. Also, the you know this was brought up in the Celtics Grizzlies game last night. The offensive and defensive basket interference. The international rule is once the ball hits the rim, it's up for grabs. And so I think that should probably be a rule as well. Like the more subjectiveness you take out of the game, the better. And it also means the less reviews and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, yeah. I agree. There's yeah. too too much of that. Completely agree. I had not even considered the fast break thing, but you're completely right. I'm just trying to think, when was the last time there was like a two-on-one fast break in the NBA? Or yeah, a, it just, like it just it, it it, seemingly doesn't exist. No, it just doesn't happen. And that's, it's such a shame. It's the best part of basketball. And you look back at old footage and it was there, but then somebody figured out, oh, I can actually take this foul. And then everyone does it. Yeah. So you need you and need f- to legislate it out. I mean, yeah. It's not and good. for all the increases in like explosiveness and speed and athleticism, which is like clearly present if you watch a game from today compared to any other era, you know, players are faster, they're more explosive, they can jump higher. And we're seeing the injuries as a result of that increased wear and tear. But the actual pace of games has been like steadily decreasing for a while. You know, there are less possessions because there are less fast breaks. There is are, that right? There, there are, yep. Yeah, really? the pace is actually going down. It's because a lot of the time <laughs> when... Yeah, I know. You, you just wouldn't pick it. But I think a lot of it is because... You know, like we saw it a lot in the 2000s with like ISO ball dominating. And, you know, a lot of teams will kind of slow it down and really take mm. their time and work for a good shot. If, if teams are just going to fail to stop a fast break, you don't get that same level of rapid back and forth. And, but uh, the pace has yeah, definitely like, picked up since the mid-2000s, though. Since the mid-2000s, yeah. yes. It's as lower than like the 70s and 80s. Like since right. then, the, the overall trend has gone down, but mm-hmm. it's up from the 2000s, yeah. which was at a, at an absolute... We, we need more of it. They just need to... They need to get rid of that. I can't stand it. Yeah, it's 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 not good. It's 
unpleasant to watch. <laughs> it's, yeah, and the NBA is. They're very, like, vocally focused on improving, you know, trying to make the game better and more watchable. And I just feel like they kind of turn a blind eye die to the things which are actually going to make an improvement in that regard. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, any other thoughts, Ari? All right, let's leave it there then. This has been the Miss Q NBA podcast. If you're a fan of the show, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Um, keep tuning in. We appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed and we will see you again in two weeks time.